Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. And this is me, your host, Yag. In today's episode, we are going to discuss how B2B marketers can get better at video marketing and the key mistakes to avoid. As always, we have the best in business to share their expertise. Today, we have with us Guy Bauer, the founder and creative director at Umalt, a B2B video marketing agency based out of Chicago. His agency specializes in helping B2B brands simplify their complex sales message with video. Guy and his team concept, script, and oversee video campaigns that simplify all that is complex and transform the ordinary into extraordinary. He is the author of Death to Corporate Video, and his biggest life regret <laughs> is uh, being a Cincinnati Bengals fan. With that, Guy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me, Yag. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're here today. So, all right, so let's get started. First things first, we all know that it's almost cliche or even trite to say that videos are on the rise. I mean, pretty much everyone uses videos for marketing, communicating, collaborating, being in the Zoom world that we are in today. Yep. So when it comes to videos, everyone has an opinion. And then there are different schools of thoughts, like some say focus on distribution, some say it's all about ideas, and some others go with it's about the execution. In fact, you say people need to focus on or even pay more for video ideas than the video production itself. So can we dive into that first? Why do you think so? Yeah, most people make the mistake of making high fidelity recordings of stinky things. So they'll invest a ton of money in a great crew with great camera equipment, great lighting, all the best stuff, you know, 10 people on set, makeup artist. They'll invest all this money in the making and the doing, but no one takes a step back and says, well, what is the camera aimed at, right? Like, what are we actually recording? And right. usually what their recording is nothing. Uh, I mean, it's something, <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's nothing that would make someone watch it and go, Hmm, pretty interesting. Most people make the mistake of making high fidelity recordings of low fidelity stories, right? Or low fidelity topics. I think you just have to reverse that. The best of both worlds is high fidelity recordings of high fidelity topics, right? But if you have limited budget and you and you have to triage, which who doesn't have limited budget, what I would do is make a low fidelity recording of a high fidelity topic. Put it another way is the moon landing. Think about the moon landing. Technically, the moon landing is ugly. It's not even in color. The audio quality is terrible. The camera is not level. There's banding and all sorts of the highlights are way too overexposed. The moon landing technically is an awful, awful, awful film that's ugly looking. But 
the content of the moon landing is so powerful, obviously it uh, it outdoes its technical limitations, right? It it overcomes them. So that's kind of the proof of the theory there is you should be thinking about what the video is more than how you're going to make it. Right, right. I absolutely like this because, you know, um, before this podcast started, uh, it was like me and another friend doing something called Coffee Conversations, which was just a five minute video uh, with just my iPhone. We just used used it in such a way that we were sitting in front of a light source and that became a hit, which eventually led us to starting this podcast. So, yeah, makes makes so much sense. Right. You know, Guy, um, I'm going to admit something to you now. Um, I've written a lot of content in the form of blogs, say web pages, press releases. But every time I write the script for a video, the idea that you spoke about, right? The script for a video, I literally struggle. The struggle is not about writing, but when I share the script with a person who will work with me on creating the video, they read the script, they ask me a lot of questions. And then after they uh, send me the first cut of their version, uh, I tend to suggest a lot of changes and you know how it goes. So let's talk about it. Like how different is um, writing for a web page or any piece of written content versus doing that for a video script? Yeah, it's a totally different medium and it's a it's a, a mistake that a lot of people make. It's a common pitfall we see is that organizations in the name of efficiencies will say, hey, you copywriter, take our 20 page white paper and edit this down into a 60 second or 120 second video script. And they will do that. And that's how corporate video, you know, I use this term corporate video. Corporate video is just my slang for very bad video. Uh, you know, no <laughs> right. one watches a corporate video at night for fun in their pajamas. <laughs> um, and that's one of the main reasons that feeling of this feels corporate. It's because writing it, it's, it's just like how you wouldn't necessarily use the same copywriter for billboards as you would web copy, as you would a white paper. Those are all, yes, it is the written word. It, the medium is the written word, but they're different um, channels, right? Different parts of the brain. Um, video is way different in that video is a, is a channel, is a medium that includes audio and visuals. So a common thing we see is that when you use the same copywriter you use, you know, who are making your white papers and web copy, if you use that same copywriter for your videos, usually they're not engaging in the visual aspect, meaning they're just writing what will be said by a voiceover artist or a character. They're they're not used to also having that visual channel available to them. So that's where you get scripts that are very wordy, whereas a proper at copywriter or like a video copywriter will write knowing that they have both the word channel, like the audio channel, the words that people say, but then they also have the visual channel. And the visual channel can actually convey even more information than the audio channel ever could. And so the visual copywriter, the video copywriter actually has a different balance when they write. Um, they're weighting the visual channel more and the audio channel less. And that's where you get video scripts that are properly written 
feel punchier. They feel lighter. Somehow they get things done in fewer words. If you were to take a transcript, you'd be like, wait a second, how do they get this done in so few words? It's because they're also leveraging the pictures and the imagery that people see. Right, right. So does it mean that, uh, you know, uh, when you write a video script, you kind of put in sections saying that this is what will be on the screen and this is what will be the text? Or is it like the written word itself is like being cognizant of what you're going to have the screen, but then the script is just going to be the script that you're writing? Right. So and what you're talking about is an AV script, an audio visual script, right? And that's another thing, you know, that people will... Uh, we'll see clients will Google, how do you write a video script? And they'll read an article that says, make an AV script. And usually the mistake we see people doing is they copy and paste their white paper over on the audio channel. And, uh, you know, that's edited down from 20 pages down to 60 seconds. And then what they'll do on the visual channel is just write what was like, they'll be very what we call on the nose. So if let's say the audio is saying, um, companies have disparate silos of data. And so that would be on the audio channel on the left. And then on the right side, what they'll write is picture of disparate silos of data. <laughs> like they'll just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like animation yeah, yeah. of disparate silos of data. And what that is, is that's redundant, right? Because if you yeah. heard it you and and it's very inefficient, what a proper video copywriter will do is understand it's just like drumming, how a great drummer can disassociate all their limbs from each other, right? Yeah. And do different things with their four limbs. It's the same thing. You know, the visuals don't need to be so see and say with the audio. Thing is, it's so crazy is I used to make this mistake. I used to be penny wise, pound foolish. And I would say, well, if I spend a thousand dollars on a copywriter or whatever, 500 bucks on a copywriter, that's 500, you know, fewer dollars I can spend on the video. But it's that same thing you have to ask yourself, but it's $500 more that you can spend on the video, but of what, right? If you don't have the right words or the right idea, who cares that you have $500 more to spend on making it? So it's, Put all the money you can into finding and working with copywriters who know how to write for video. And then also another great tip is get a storyboard artist. And I'm talking these people, I don't want to use the word cheap, but it's not expensive. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to break the bank to pre-visualize. The big idea, Yag, is you need to make the video before you make the video and the, the best, all my best work that's on our website and the clients love, those ads were made months before we ever picked up a camera. And so the idea is the all the tools that you can bring to bear, i.e. copywriter and a storyboard artist, will pay off tenfold down the line once you're actually making the video because you've had time to see what the video looks like just in sketches. You've heard the script when you read it out loud, all those investments, and they're not much money, all those investments up front in terms of thinking, they all pay off. They all have big ROI downstream. 
Right, right. I can't agree more. And that brings me, you know, to the next question. In fact, uh, with a name like Umalt that has a bit of German touch to it, I'm sure uh, you folks are extremely process oriented. So do you have a process to come up with the ideas for the videos that you're talking about? Like what goes into validating an idea before even you present it to a customer? Yes. Yeah, so I'll touch on the process and then validation. So the process is it's um, obviously there's like tons of little steps, but I would say for the purposes of simplicity, the process is two steps. Step one is come up with an idea and write it. <laughs> and then step two is make the video. And uh, <laughs> okay, 99% of folks do not do step one or what they'll do is they'll do step one on the way to the shoot, right? So back in when I started the agency and I didn't know all this stuff and I didn't learn the hard way, a client would call and they'd say, we want a video guy. And I'd say, great, uh, we'll shoot it you know, April 1st at your office from nine to 5 PM. Great. April 1st. And then we'd have our shoot day and everything. And the idea would just be done over a couple emails, you know, with that shoot day locked in stone. And right. so that's what a lot of companies do too, is they'll set the shoot day and, you know, and then whatever they can do in their free time in terms of coming up with an idea they do, if they do at all. So step one, come up with an idea. Step two, make the video. The other way to think about this is when you get a custom house built, if I want to build a custom house, my first call isn't a general contractor who's going to just put up walls and hire a plumber and hire an electrician. My first call, if I want a custom house, is an architect. And the architect is the one who asks me questions like, you know, tell me about your ties with nature in this area, in this plot of land that you picked. What's important to you? Are you an outdoors person or is it family time that you really like inside the house? And they're going to ask those and you know what those questions are? That's strategy. You know, they're right. trying to get the essence of my, you know, my brand and how I'm going to use the house, right? This is all a metaphor. Anyway, so the architect is going to ask all those dreamy, thinky things, and then they'll go back and forth with me. And the final result of the architect, of the engagement with the architect, the architect doesn't build it. The architect doesn't hammer anything. The architect just gives me blueprints. That's it. Then they're done. Goodbye. Right. Then you hand the blueprints over to the builder, the general contractor. Now, if I were to go direct to the general contractor, to the builder, like many, many, many brands do, the builder isn't going to ask questions like, tell me about your family and how <laughs> you enjoy time together. And do you have strong ties in nature? The contractor is going to ask me, all right, are we using two by fours and what's the square footage? And tell me about, are we 220 volts and 20 amp circuit on it? Blah, blah, blah. They're going to ask all technical stuff. Right. And, and that's the difference of those two folks. Both are needed to make a house, to make a custom house, but they are two separate steps. And right. so the, our process is step one, think, step two, do. And actually, just like how I said, you should sp spend more money on step one than you do step two. I also think you should spend more time. So our engagements are roughly 15 to 16 weeks for, I believe it's 13 of those, or no, maybe it's not, maybe it's like 12 of those 15 to 16 weeks 
are not spent making video or shooting video or editing video. It's all just in Microsoft Word and PowerPoint. That's it for the front load for the front 12 weeks. Wow. Yeah. And and, and what's just so interesting is it's so counterintuitive. But the other way to do it, which drives brand crazy and is very expensive, is you know, you take that timeline and you know, think about the flip is all right, only spend four weeks in idea mode and 12 weeks in making it. Well, that means for that 12 weeks, you're just editing and trying to fit square pegs and round holes because nothing was pre-thought of. And usually when clients hear the 15 to 16 week timeline, they get a little like, really, that's pretty long. But if you think about it, the alternative is I've seen engagements where they just never end, right? Or they just peter out because the client never got what they wanted because there was no pre-thought. And you can't edit your way out of a bad idea, right? There's only <laughs> certain w- a number of ways you can rearrange the stinky footage uh, that wasn't pre-thought of. So that's the process. And in terms of validation, there's different things we'll do. Uh, obviously, depending on client's budget and stuff like that, sometimes we will do uh, Google surveys. Sometimes we have um, we'll have our clients send the storyboards out to internal folks on their team who they trust. Not a lot though. What you don't want is a lot of folks because everyone's going to conflict with each other, right? Um, In the end, everyone will leave negative feedback on everything. Um, There's a slide I show all of our clients. Um, Do you remember the Volkswagen ad with the, the kid Darth Vader? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yes. So that's like, you know, one of the best ads of all time. <laughs> yeah. And I show my clients this. If you go on that, that's, that ads YouTube and go to the comments section, there are people to this day leaving negative comments about that spot. <laughs> yes. And I mean, that's the best commercial of all time, period. Right. Uh, so there's always going to be people that leave negative feedback and that don't like something. So that's why I say when, when you're trying to validate an idea, only show it to like two or three people and only show it to the people who, you know, if they don't have any feedback, they'll just say, great, it's good. You know, those folks that just always have negative stuff to say, I would avoid sending it to those folks and just to the people you really trust that would really shoot it to you straight. But even at that, even at that, you will never be able to validate an idea. There will never be 100% assurance. Um, there's this guy, Rory Sutherland. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. yeah. He was on the show. Oh, no way. Awesome. I love him. So you know, he writes about his time working with Red Bull. Red Bull, I'm a Red Bull drinker. I agree with him. It tastes disgusting. I don't know why I like it. <laughs> and, right. and all of their research came back with, this is awful. This is a terrible tasting drink. <laughs> and so even at that, you'll if you ask people what they want, like you can't really ever truly 100% validate, you know, an idea. A lot of it has to do with courage, with all right, well, we did our due diligence and we think this will work, but you'll never have 100% assurance, never. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, this also reminds me one of the posts that I saw on LinkedIn, which says that this was related to copywriting, saying that there are so many people having different comments who don't agree with each other. I think you had also commented on that. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I, I always uh, show my clients or I tell them about that musical Hamilton. In Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton is the hero and Aaron Burr is the villain. Aaron Burr's objective is for everyone to like him. He doesn't want to make any divisive or polarizing statements. So even right. after the United States wins the war, uh, he's like, mm, I don't want to take sides. I don't know how this is going to really shake out. So whereas Alexander Hamilton doesn't care who he polarizes, he just speaks his mind. And 200 right. some years later, there's a musical where Hamilton is the hero. And it, it's, it requires an immense amount of bravery for brands to be themselves and to take a chance and say, you know what? I don't know if this is right, but I know this is us. And that's all we can do. And th the odds are, is if you do something that is you, that is your brand at its core, your competition will find it very hard to copy. And you'll have an advantage. And I call it like a creative moat around you because you're not doing the safe thing. You're doing the brave thing. Right, right. With you on that. And as the next jump off point, you know, let's also talk a little bit about using videos effectively. We have different kinds of videos on our website, especially when you look at a SaaS company. There are explainer videos, brand videos, how-to videos, and the list goes on. But I still think that we SaaS marketers aren't making the best use of videos yet. Um, and I'm sure as a founder of a video marketing agency, you have a list of mistakes that uh, B2B marketers do when it comes to using videos effectively. So feel free to go on a soapbox and uh, let us know what are some of the things that we are missing out and how we can make the most out of videos. Well, the number one mistake is, like I talked about, is skipping right to the production, the making and not doing the thinking. So I would put that always on top. But some other mistakes marketers make is this idea called go fever that it's a term actually that NASA coined and go fever. If you look back at pretty much all the NASA tragedies, Apollo one challenger and Columbia go fever is partly responsible and challenger was really a go fever issue. And what go fever is, is that people want to go, right? They want to like do it. They want it now. And that clouds all decision-making. So for example, in the case Challenger, Challenger had been scrubbed over and over and over. Delays in launch based on weather, mechanical, a bunch of issues, right? It kept getting delayed, 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 delayed. And so what happened was is the mission of Challenger started out as launch astronauts into space and return them safely to Earth. It slowly morphed from that to just launched the sucker. <laughs> okay. And right. anyone that stood in the way of that new mission because of Go Fever was silenced. So I believe the night before someone or the morning of the launch, someone raised issues about the O-rings with Challenger. And because that person was speaking against the new subconscious mission of just launch the thing, they were silenced because that would take them away from the goal. And, right. and a lot of brands make this mistake of wanting to get stuff in market now, now, now. And 
the pressures of now outdo all of the due diligence that should be happening. And what ends up happening is, is yeah, the video gets in market in three weeks, but it's a flop and no one's going to remember. There's going to be no description in the YouTube link. Like FYI, this video was done in three weeks. Isn't that great? <laughs> There's going to be no disclaimer. It's just going to be a stinky video and yep. it's ineffective. So don't let go fever. The pressures of now cloud your decision-making. Another big thing I see marketers make all the time is in terms of triaging budget. The simple rule of thumb you want to do is the higher level, the higher the video is in your funnel, the more money and more time and more attention you should give it. And the lower the video is in the funnel, the less time and less money you should give it. So for example, like a loom video or a vidyard video, that can be that shouldn't have a 16 week timeline, right? That's all about quick and dirty. Do it because the medium is the message. The fact that you are giving a personal message to someone in, you know, ad hoc customized in, in real time, that's the message, right? No one's looking for a polished piece. What I, right. the mistake I see marketers make is they distribute equal importance across all of their video content. So the stuff on the top of the funnel, the ads that are being published on LinkedIn have been paid attention to just as much as the lower funnel explainers. And the reality is that's not much, right? In the case of the explainers, there's too much time being devoted to them. And then uh, the high level top of funnel spots, not enough attention. So you want to triage, you know, more attention up top, less attention and money down bottom. And by less attention, I mean, just like, it's not like your CEO and CMO and all those people are, you know, the lower it goes, the more it can be done just quicker with less money. Right. So if I have to understand this, you're, you're saying that uh, if it's going to be a how-to video or something related to a product, then uh, get it done quickly. Yes. And if it's more of a brand story video, spend enough amount of time to get the story right. That's exactly right. You know, it's almost like when you entertain people, we call it company, right? When companies coming over, you put out the best stuff, right? So when you, whenever you're talking to a cold audience, when it's real top of funnel awareness level stuff, that's where you lay out your best China and you're on your best behavior and you make sure the house is clean and all that stuff. That's really top shelf. You want the best stuff, pay a lot of money, make it really nice polished and all that stuff. And then once they're in the house for a while, then you can kind of let your guard down. And basically what's <laughs> happening is, is I think there's an exchange for attention. So when I'm advertising on LinkedIn, that's to a cold audience, they're not going to give me much attention. So my piece of content has to bring it. It's got to be awesome. Either has to be beautiful, funny, emotional. It's got to have a hook. Now, once they click into my landing page, They've, by that click, it's almost like an unwritten agreement that they're interested. They're willing to give me a little bit more attention, not enough attention for a 10 minute clunky explainer video, but maybe a 60 second 
um, more in-depth like about us video, right? And then if they click further into a product detail page, now they're ready for a, you know, a four minute product explainer and all that stuff. So it's not just budget and attention from stakeholders. It's also time. There's like the higher the spot is the higher the video is in the funnel, the less time it should be too. you know, like it should be quick, punchy. And then as they get down the funnel, um, it's more longer form and more close to the actual, like less marketing polish, if that makes sense. So a, a, a demo, an explainer video doesn't need to have the same polish your, you know, your external spots have, uh, on LinkedIn. Right, right. Makes more sense because, uh, you know, in fact, I've not spent a lot of time with videos. So, uh, you know, you've gone into all these details that makes so much of sense. And many of us here who are not directly working on this, but working with video people, I think this this makes a lot of uh, sense and has a lot of takeaways. So I love that. And here's a million dollar question that's coming your way. When you work with B2B tech companies, chances are that... Uh, People who are close to the product tend to talk about so many things as a matter of fact, which might come across as jargon or way too complex to an untrained ear. And when it comes to videos or any content, if it doesn't hook you in the first few seconds, then nobody really cares. So how do you simplify a complex message in a way that it's being understood by your target audience? Oh, love this question. And you're right. This is the million dollar question. And yeah. it is very hard. It is extremely hard for SaaS companies or any B2B company that's kind of like engineer led, right? Where the the product ha has to make it requires a lot of engineering and science and that kind of thinking. And here's my best way to answer. Are you familiar with the weekend blinding lights? No, I don't. Okay. It's a hit song here in the States. Um this guy played the Super Bowl halftime. I mean, it is the hit of 2020. Okay. And I'll do a little singing for you. But my point is, is that um, I've listened to that song. My kids love it. I've listened to the song at least 50 times, seen him play the Super Bowl. I've seen the music video a dozen times. And all I can remember is the chorus. Ooh, I'm blinded by the lights. No, I can't sing. And I don't even know after that. All I know right, right. is the chorus. Now, right. that's The weekend. I've seen him. I've heard the song 40 times. I've seen the music video a dozen times. He played the Super Bowl. And I don't know the lyrics to the song. Now, <laughs> right. let's take your SAS explainer video. Let's take your yep. top of funnel ad. If all I can remember from the weekend is a few words, what are the chances I'm going to remember, retain your eight features and, and then the four benefits associated with them? <laughs> no chance. Zero. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's how you do it. This is the easy thing, but it's so hard is make a chorus, make your entire video, the chorus. This is what the Beatles did. This is what the weekend does. This is what all major musicians do is they just start with the chorus. <laughs> like, I think, yeah. you know, like no one remembers the verses, only really extreme fans start making videos with the chorus, meaning just one thing, just focus on one or two things that are truly interesting, not the seven other things that are cool, that are innovative, 
those can be on a product page. Put them on a product detail page. Everyone assumes that prospects are only paying attention to them. Guess what? Your prospects are also being bombarded by all of your competition's features and benefits. In the end, they all start sounding the same. So you can't market that way. It's just white noise. What you have to do is come up with a message that focus on the significant few rather than the important many. The one or two things that are truly novel about what you do or your product, right? And then ditch everything else. And when I say ditch everything else, doesn't mean like take them out of your web page or anything. It's actually just let the video hook them in and then they'll digest the other content. They'll have a conversation with your sales folks. And if you need more confidence to make this decision, the idea is that when your clients are being bombarded by features and benefits, features and benefits by all of your competitors, they they can't even, they're not remembering who has what. Most likely you're getting credit, your, your company, your SaaS company is going to get credit for some feature that some other of the other competition has and your client's just confusing it. In the absence of clarity, right, like when everyone is saying the same thing, humans will start to gravitate towards their their primary um, decision maker, and that's emotion, how it makes you feel. And that's why companies that can just focus on one or two things and then say it either funnily or like with an inspirational tone or some kind of emotion, those folks will win because the odds are is you and your competition all have the same features anyway. So focus on just one or two things and then try to give that message with a bit of style, right? Just say it in a cool way and you'll win. I I really love this because I recently had Eddie Yoon on the show and one of the things that he said very similar to what you just said is he was like the moment you go from transition to selling to an aspiration the bridge is emotion so I was like wow I never thought about it that way well it's because like humans are bombarded by information all day long and they have to throw away most of it as a survival tactic, right? So we don't have time to process all this important stuff. We just have to make very, this is not the right word, but it's almost like we we live in heuristics. We live in shortcuts, right? And so just speak to your client's shortcuts, what they use, right? Use their heuristics and you'll stick out. You'll do at least better than consensus. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely, uh, you know, staying away from consensus. There's there's no two things about it. All right. So with that, uh, you know, with that, that we are now into the 36 minute mark. Uh, let's move into the second section of the podcast, which we call the rapid fire section. So the idea is to shoot five lightning questions at you and uh, try my best to put you on the spot. And uh, let's see how it goes. So are you ready for that? All right. Just add a sip of water. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. So here's question number one. You folks at Umold have this thing where you say, make the film before you make the film. And you also said that some time back. So what do you mean by it? Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So make the film on pen and paper where it's very cheap to 
rearrange stuff or strike stuff entirely. Like, mm, no, we don't like that at all. Make it in your mind, right? Like make it in as many places as you can, pen and paper, in your mind. Sometimes we'll do animatics. So what that is, is we'll take the storyboard and then have us in the office just act out all the different parts. Like we'll just record them on our iPhone and then we edit together the video with the music. The idea is make the video in a medium that is super cheap to edit on rather than make it in real life where it's very expensive to make it with props and actors and then editing and all that stuff. So make it before you make it. Make it on pen and paper and in your mind. The idea is before going to shoot your video, if you cannot envision what the video looks like in your head, you have a problem. Either the agency you're working with has not explained has not given you enough information to pre-visualize in your head, or you have not done the homework of digesting what they've put in front of you to get it in your head. But you have to have that vision of what it is in your head before you make it. It's got to be made before it's made. Right. Absolutely love that. All right. So here's question number two. Do you have a video promotion checklist or steps that you suggest every customer of yours to follow to make the most of the video that you have created for them? Love this question. Yes, I think it's as easy as this is go to Google, type in peso, paid, earned, shared, owned. There's going to be a bunch of infographics with all the different channels in each of those major categories. So paid is obviously, you know, LinkedIn, Google, Facebook, all that, right? Then yeah. uh, earned is, um, could be blogs, um, news media, industry publications. So there's going to be, there's going to be little bullets that all of these yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, frameworks are going to have. There's your checklist. I mean, it's unbelievable. Everyone, when they think of distribution, they immediately go to paid, right? Yeah. Paid is paid, earned, shared, owned. Paid is one fourth. But don't discount the three-fourths that are pretty cheap uh, comparatively. And so if you t go to Google, type in Peso, use that as your checklist and as like kind of your brainstorm trigger, you're going to – I guarantee you if you, you get together with your team, you're going to brainstorm 20 to 30 publications in the earned category that you can reach out to. Guess what? 90% aren't going to respond to your email, but 10% will, and they may publish you or they may highlight the video and, and send it out to their email list. Um, and that could have a greater impact than all of your paid, you know, campaign combined. So, and that's what we do here at Umalt. So we call it a campaign playbook. Um, when our scopes go there, but, uh, yeah, we, we put together a campaign playbook and we, that's really our process. We just go through and make a checklist and find all the different channels we can get this piece out to, because, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, no one hears it. It's the same thing. If the best video in the world is made, but no one sees it, like no one sees it, you know, yeah. <laughs> you just wasted all the money. So you definitely, definitely have to, um, think of distribution equally as much as you do making the thing. Right, right. 
All right, so here's question number three. Should B2B brand videos always be set in boardroom? This is this is something that I ask in a in a <laughs> very rhetorical way because I see most of these corporate videos having the same kind of a setup. Yeah, and we made fun of this. If you go to umalt.com, U-M-A-U-L-T.com, we, it's the first video on the page. Um, we make fun of this a bunch. And it's it's because it's easy to do, right? So, hey, we need a video. Okay. Is it the one in slow motion? Yeah. Uh, and then there's another one where a woman's like, how come all B2B videos have people in a conference room, <laughs> you know, writing on a whiteboard? Well, the reason why they're made like that while a ton of corporate videos have slow motion people interacting in a conference room around a whiteboard is that it's easy to do. It's like, well, what should we do for our video? Oh, why don't we show us collaborating? Oh yeah. <laughs> so ever since I made that spot, I kind of like burned my ships, right? I can no longer for the rest of my life ever put people in a conference room, you know, interacting around a whiteboard. Here's a little tip that I think um, could be useful for your audience is the next time you make a video, put this constraint on yourself. We cannot shoot this in our office or work environment. So if you work in a factory, you know, whatever, right? Don't shoot it in the office or a work environment. And what that's going to do is it's going to force you to go, well, where can we shoot it? Oh, we could shoot at a coffee shop or we could shoot it at a house. And what that does is the location will then influence the idea because, all right, let's shoot in a coffee house. Well, you know, you can't have people interacting around a whiteboard in a coffee house. What can you have? You can have people on an iPad in the corner of a coffee house looking at a chart. That's one step better than people in a conference room talking around a whiteboard. So the just changing of venue a lot of times like will move all of the concepts the available concepts over to the novel right to to um to new areas that aren't so quote unquote corporate and the little trick i do is i just start everything in a house now when we come up with ideas it's like all right what do we say in a house and and that really challenges us creatively because now you don't have all the crutches of the workplace. Yeah, and also in today's uh, remote world, that is more relatable <laughs> as well. You know, what's funny is, uh, of course, we come out with that spot right before COVID. So it's like, yeah, now, it, yeah, <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So here's um, question number four. If an organization comes to you to create a brand video, what are your top three questions uh, to understand their brand personality? Top three questions to understand brand personality. I like the whole game of seven adjectives. So give me seven adjectives and or movie characters that describe your brand. But usually the responses to those are all contradictory. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I like to, to ask, um, but, but we do ask that. Okay. The number two one I would ask is in 140 characters or less, Tell me about what your brand does and who it does it for in 140 characters, because that will give me a sense of, you know, their elevator pitch, how they talk about themselves, kind of the tone uh, of how they synthesize 
all that they do into 140 characters. And then if they can't hit 140 characters, if they go like on for three pages, that also tells me that maybe we have more brand work to do, you know, that they can't really do that. Uh, And that happens a lot. Yeah. And then the third thing for brand personality. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I like to always ask why, like, what do you want people to do after watching this? And why would they do that? Because then they're going to tell me the, why would they do that is really, that's when they expose their value prop. And it's like, well, how do you talk about your value prop? Um, And that's really telling to how the brand, you know, how their personality is and if they're customer centric or if, you know, it's always, you would think the number one question would be, tell me about your brand personality. (laughs) But I think it's, it's all the questions that get around it, right? That kind of, um, I want to see the subtext, right? That'll really tell me their brand personality. Right, right. The reason I ask this question is because, you know, I personally believe that everybody in your organization needs to know about your personality. uh, And that comes through in every form of content. Like, say, for example, even if I'm writing a blog, you know, I cannot, uh, like, say, the brand that I represent at Avuma, we use very soft languages. We are not like, you know, on the face kind of a brand. So we are very sure that for the kind of personality that we are, this is the way we would say, like, say, for example, instead of saying that this is what people do, uh, I would start using sentences like, probably this is how you need to think about it. So that subtle difference is you get to uh, think about it only when you know the kind of brand that you're representing. Mm-hmm. There are so many brands we work with where, uh, you know, our clients are actually kind of fighting over just what their value props are or like for their personality. So it's a total risk I see is not having that um, cohesive personality, like awareness or yeah. training across the uh, organization. Right, right. Absolutely. All right. So here's the final rapid fire question. What, according to you, is the biggest myth that people have about video marketing? <laughs> that it's going to solve all their problems, which <laughs> it won't. I mean, isn't that the thing about marketing? Ay, ay, ay. I was about to say that. Marketing... It's a mountain that will never be climbed. And the second you think you're on the top, you are not. And that's why we love it though, right? I mean, it's an inconquerable thing. There is no master of it. You can develop mastery, but you will never master it. Um, And that's the thing is like video is just the same as all the other channels. It's like, it's shiny, right? Like, oh, let's get a video, but make no mistake. It's not going to solve everything you know, the video can only do so much. If your product stinks and it still ain't going to work, if your service stinks, it ain't going to work. So it's, I think a myth is that, you know, that it's going to solve everything, which it won't. Unfortunately, I wish it would. (laughs) I think it's also fortunate because uh, it's important to realize that uh, all of these three are uh, stands on which your company or the brand stands on. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you on that. It's not going to solve everything, but it's definitely an important layer or important bow in your archery. That's right. All right. So uh, we, are, we are coming towards the end of the show. Uh, but before I say thank you and let you go, I would like to ask you, do you have a parting message that you would like to share with our audience? These are B2B marketing and salespeople 
um, with about seven to eight years of experience on average. I would say this is that think about why you got into this and it wasn't to do normal. No one starts their career with let's do normal and don't underestimate the power of bravery because so few people are brave to do great marketing. I believe to do great marketing, to make a mark with your career and then on the company that you represent requires bravery and there's no substitute for it. No amount of data, you know, ABM is awesome. Like you do. I mean, it's, it's so data driven, but in the end it still is bravery. It still requires an idea. It still requires experimentation and like, I don't know if this is going to work and putting your neck on the line. So what I would say is, you know, think back, dig deep, and make great marketing and be brave. <laughs> you know, I absolutely love this. It, it, it almost feels like we are working for the same organization, same brand, because my CEO often tells me this, you know, the other day I was asking him, like, how did you select the other uh, three uh, co-founders? And he was like, uh, it's most of the people, when you talk about um, having a co-founder, they think of uh, the skill set and the complementary factors. But ultimately, it's about the bravery as to um, uh, whether you can take a stand when things are going against you. And so you also talk about the exact same thing, you know, uh, taking that leap of faith when nothing is going your way. My belief is that if you look at a year of business, there's only two weeks you get a year where everything is in equilibrium, meaning you're hitting all your MQLs and converting to SQL. You know what I mean? All the numbers are like, yes, good, good, green light, green light, green light. You get two weeks a year and they're not consecutive, meaning you get 14 days throughout the year where everything is, ah, great. <laughs> oh, I work, I, oh, I work, I stopped working today after eight hours and all of our metrics are great. The other 50 weeks are not ideal. Nothing ever is. There's this quote by Winston Churchill, marketers should have this pasted on their wall. It's success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And that's it. This is a 365 day a year grind, right? And it's who has the courage to continue and keep trying and, you know, not let those failures be fatal, which they're not. Yeah, absolutely not. Love that message. And if the listeners of the podcast want to get in touch with you, what's the best place to connect with you? Um, yeah, uh, umalt.com, U-M-A-U-L-T.com. And uh, there's a bunch of videos up there and free resources like uh, our uh, guide, Seven Ways to Avoid Making a Corporate Video. And our podcast, uh, Death to the Corporate Video, is also on the page. Amazing. And thank you so much, Guy, for all your time. And I, I absolutely love this conversation. There are so much nuggets of wisdom to go back and listen and re-listen to. I'll probably even make a detailed blog on this because I don't have anything on uh, video marketing. So love that so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yag, it was my pleasure. Great talk. Thank you. All right. So for the listeners of the podcast, that's that from us in this episode. And until we connect with you the next time, with another guest and another topic. This is bye from me, Yag. Have a good day and take care. 
Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 